0: Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a very interesting guest in Tony Guarnaccio. So Tony is, has um, an awesome background in helping businesses through crises. Um, obviously, there's a couple things that have been happening lately that make his experience extremely relevant. So I'm super excited to have him on the show. So um, thanks for coming on, Tony. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. All right, awesome. So I um, just wanted to start off with a bit of background. So a little bit of the pre-call, I know that you've been working with a lot of law firms over your career, but kind of um, give us a little bit of the background on how you, you made it to the point we're at today. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I've been in uh, digital marketing and marketing in general for over 20 years. And uh, it started way back in the late 90s. I started one of the first online bakeries. It was an e-commerce store. So that's when I first got my exposure to all this uh, Google and search engines and all the way up through AdWords, everything we have today. It started way back then. And then from there, uh, after that business, I Went and in, went into the corporate world for about uh, ten years, a little over a decade, and worked with some great companies: uh, Google, Ford Motor Company, ADP, uh, and just had a lot of experience both on the business-to-consumer side as well as on the business-to-business business side. So just got a, a breath of experience, and then after that, I went back to my first passion, which is really helping business businesses, small businesses, uh, law firms. Uh, any kind of uh, entrepreneurial type endeavor, I really—that's kind of my own passion and helping others uh, create, you know, their fulfill their purpose.
0: Okay, awesome. And then, um, yeah, with a lot of the crisis planning too, it's like I think you know you you've been through quite a few yourself, right? So it's like I think you know I think it's the nine eleven financial crisis and stuff like that. So heading into twenty twenty, you're probably a, a bit more comfortable than a lot of people are, right? So um, how have things yeah. kind of stacked up with what you're seeing this, uh, you know, this whole go around. Let's call it a recession or pandemic or whatever. Like, what's uh, what's been going differently, and what have you been able to uh, to apply for the uh, this time with uh, with the experience that you have?
1: Sure, yeah, this is a very different scenario. I mean, I I remember going back, you know, with the the big recession we had, you know, a decade or so ago. That was a very challenging time. You know, I remember going to Ford Motor Company, and they had every other light bulb unscrewed to save energy. It was that kind of drastic, and it particularly hit the automotive industry back then. But what we have today is really quite unprecedented. Uh, There's really, at least in my lifetime, I haven't really seen anything like it. My mother actually went through something very similar, though. I learned a lot of resiliency through her. So she contracted polio back in the late 1930s. So she went from the point where she wasn't able to walk, you know, up until the age of 14 years old. and so. A lot of the lessons I've learned about how to become more resilient in business and in life really came from her, uh, because her, her vision was always to be able to walk someday and, and ultimately wear high heels. And what she taught me and how she was actually able to accomplish that goal was to really break things down. And, and, and the specific framework I developed over the years to do that tactically is to number one, know what problem you're trying to solve. Then number two, know how to solve that problem. Uh, and then the last part is actually taking the action. So it's really thinking about how breaking things down to small steps, which is the name of the book I have coming out. It's all about the subject of how you can plan and have a strategy, but really how you can get through any adversity as well, like a, like a crisis like we're going through now. It's really just those simple steps, knowing, identifying the problem, what am I trying to do? Then figure out how I'm going to attack that problem. And then finally, then taking action. Those three, Those three things can get a business, a firm, uh, any a nonprofit, any organization through, or personally for that matter through anything.
0: Yeah. And it's really interesting because I feel like a lot of these situations, like, and I think the best models kind of seem self-evident. So if you're talking about how to get through something and it's like, oh yeah, sure. Well, and you just got to identify the problem and take the steps to break down but obviously things are breaking down at some point because not everyone's having exactly the results they want to have in this crisis or you know at any point in business outside. So like what do you think are the major blocks that people are running into that are stopping them from being able to to do this like you know for themselves and see see uh, a clear picture of things?
1: Sure. So I've been fortunate again to work at the very highest levels you know with some amazing companies and what I learned there is is very different from how it's applied at the small business level, and namely, uh, the biggest difference I've seen is in terms of planning and having a strategy. And so, and I find this a lot in law firms. Uh, so typically, most people go right to the how. So how do I do SEO? How do you do Facebook? You know, how do I do a podcast? Whatever the case may be, without first discussing the what. So what do I want to accomplish? So what is my goal for the year? How much do I want to grow by? And and then looking at why is I important to you? Because if you don't have the what and the why down, you normally get stuck. And to kind of give you a, a simple illustration, here's how what would work. So for instance, I'll go back to the cakes. Uh, I need to have a party, a birthday party. So my wife's you know turning whatever age I won't say. Uh, and and she you know I want to give her a nice party. So what am I going to need? I'm going to need a cake. I'm going to need, you know, uh, some streamers, you know, decorate the place, et cetera. So that's the what. Now, how am I going to do that? Well, most of us know what's in a cake, right? So we know there's eggs and flowers and all this other stuff. But how do I actually make it? Well, a lot of us probably don't know how to do that. So maybe i have to watch a YouTube video, learn how it's done. And then finally, I have to actually make the cake or buy it, right? Otherwise, I won't have it. So Those three things really have to be in alignment. What I find with most law firms is they don't discuss the what, they go right to the how. And, and that is not always effective because yeah, you might want to know how to do SEO, but it may not work in your particular market because it's maybe already so saturated. You know, you may want to do how, how to do Facebook. And so the fancy way of th- thinking about it is the shiny object syndrome. That's what people talk about. But I find that really a major problem with a lot of law firms because, you know, how many of us have wasted time, money, effort, you know, hiring the wrong agency, hiring the wrong people, wasting so much money in hours i mean in some markets the cost per click can be $50 $100 or more and a lot of times that's wasted because we don't have the what down first
0: yeah i couldn't agree more and it's it's also yeah like you know especially some of these methods too like if you talk about a lot of the seo stuff like it could be 12 months before you realize that you know maybe you don't like the kind of people who come from seo and you know all of a sudden you're out however much it was costing for that retainer and that kind of thing but um yeah no it's it's kind of interesting too like i would say it, it's I think there's a healthy bit of skepticism that's built in the legal profession because you know that's what makes people good at reviewing contracts and stuff like that. And a lot of times, people have this, yeah, let me do what my friend that I was, you know, having a beer with at the happy hour was. Uh, was doing. And a lot of the times that can be kind of bad because it's like, you know, something that could work for one firm, not what might not necessarily work for another one. But yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point as well. What's kind of leading people to make these decisions. It's like, you know, would you agree that like, I think like a lot of law firms are kind of resource constrained with just the way that they start out? Absolutely. I mean,
1: a lot of times people get, you know, especially law firms they get stuck in the trading hours uh, for money. And that's a very difficult thing because, you know, when you do that, you have no no time. And so a lot of times that's where you need systems in place and, and processes so you can you know hire people to help you. But, yes, it's very difficult. I mean, trying to find time to write content, uh, having them approve things. I mean, that's always challenges whenever I've worked with attorneys because they're just so busy and their time so valuable.
0: Yeah. And like, if you're at that point where you have, you know, the money's tight, the, the, you know, the time is tight, like you know, the amount of people you can throw on things are tight, like, what's kind of your order of operations for eventually getting people out to the point where they might have a little bit more space to make these decisions and hopefully make the right ones?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question, because this goes back to the importance of strategic planning, what, what I was mentioning before, because what you're doing when you're planning is you're really prioritizing. Another way to think about planning is just replacing the P with uh, instead of planning being prioritizing because where you are today, as as much as sometimes we don't want to think about it, it's it's the result of the decisions you've made in the past, good or bad. And those decisions usually come down into the forms of where am I spending my time, where am I spending my money, and where am I putting my effort? You know, whether whether it's leveraging someone else's effort, mine, my team, etc. And so. That's why it's so important to have some sort of framework for organizing your thoughts and prioritizing your thoughts. And from a business perspective, that's exactly why I created the results loop. It's a, it's the, um, the one page planner that I use to grow any kind of business, any kind of firm, any kind of entity can be grown. Even Girl Scouts. I actually consulted my, my daughter's Girl Scout group, uh, using this framework and they dramatically increased their, their cookie sales. So it can be, it's such a simple thing. Uh, because I know here's the problem. Most people don't have the time to plan. So when I say plan, people immediately are saying, wow, I can't do that. You know, it's, it's too much. So m- what I try to do is take what I learned in the, you know, working with these great companies where we'd spend hours and hours and days and have a 30 tab spreadsheet and, and all these scenarios planning and take that and condense that where you could do the same process in essentially 15 minutes on a single sheet of paper. That was my whole purpose behind creating the results loop.
0: Yeah, and I'm definitely gonna have to dig into what this is in a little bit more detail. But like, I think uh, a lot of people might be raising their hand and saying, "All right, cool, I'm interested 15 minutes to get some clarity on stuff like I think that's, uh, that uh, the juice is worth the squeeze on that. Because I think it's like a lot of times my people you know, take this idea of strategy and, like, you know, maybe they're, you know, reading whatever's on the New York Times bestseller list or whatever, like that, and thinking that this is something that they have to lock themselves in a room with all their, you know, top aides for, for a week straight to get some clarity on this stuff. But if this is something that you guys are able to do in 15 minutes, um, I think that's something a lot of people would be interested in. So, like, could you um, give us a little bit more detail on how the results loop works? Sure, absolutely. So, there's really six factors that I found can grow any organization, no matter the stage or their
1: size. Uh, so the first thing I look at is the markets that are being served. So that's simply the, the the segmentation of your market. So that can be segmented by the different services you provide. It could also be segmented by geographic location. Uh, it could be um, segmented by the, the prospect's pain point, the client's pain point. The other part is uh, number two, which is offerings. So these are the products and services you provide those markets. Right. And so what's a product or service? Well, in the legal world, uh, most of us know what services are, but a lot of things can be productized. So, for instance, you know, I have a friend that does uh, has packaged different legal agreements that people need all the time. So, for instance, there's a guest podcasting agreement that she created because so many people need uh, are doing podcasts now, but they don't have any kind of agreement for their guests. That they sign off on. So she created that, and it's packaged. It can be used. So that's a really good example of what's called productization. Taking a service and turning it into a product. Probably the best known, ent- you know, entity that did that is uh, LegalZoom in, in the in the law in the law field. Uh, and then the third component of the third factor is called value. So this is the value you're providing your your market. And so the value is what makes you the absolute choice in your market relative to all the others. So why would someone work with you as opposed to any of the other attorneys that you're competing with? And that's followed by factor number four, which is how you get new buyers and new clients in this case, how to increase the size of those clients uh, in terms of lifetime value, uh, and then how you drive the loyalty. So how do you get them, in some cases, come back again and again? In some cases, that won't apply in the legal because obviously, Uh, you know, if you're doing criminal law, you want someone to get uh, arrested again and again, that's not the case. But the second factor of uh, loyalty is referrals. So in the legal world, a lot of times loyalty comes down to having referral systems, and that can come into play from direct client referrals, but also from other attorneys being referral sources or, you know, chiropractors, there's all sorts of different other, uh, you know, kind of complementary products and services and organizations that can then Give you a referral, so that's a lot of times low hanging fruit, particularly with law firms.
0: Yeah, and this is actually something you mentioned on the pre-call, uh, but I th- I found it very very counterintuitive because. A lot of the situations that I find, especially smaller law firms is I think everyone really starts from a point where referrals are the lifeblood of their business. But one of the things that you said was that referrals are something that people have the let the don't really have a sophisticated plan for. So it's kind of funny that it doesn't match up that the people it's like, I think, you know, it's such a good channel. Most of the times that people don't really think about how they can make it better because there isn't a pain. But yeah, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about kind of systems that law firms can use to be getting more referrals out of stuff.
1: Yeah. So the first thing is always to be listening. And so there's always different opportunities to get a referral from the individual you're actually helping. So a lot of times when you first contract that client, when you uh, accomplish something and they're happy at that point, but also going back, I mean, some attorneys I've worked with, they'll get referrals from clients from five years ago because they have a system. Now, how do you do that? Well, this is where it's useful to have a content strategy. So always staying top of mind is one of the key things because mostly your competitors aren't doing it. So if, even if you're just saying a, a newsletter, maybe even a printed newsletter is even better. But if you're just getting that in front of them on a monthly or even a quarterly basis, that is giving you awareness where you're going to be the first person they think of when they when they find a friend that's in need. So that's one way. And then obviously industry referrals, the same, same kind of strategy. So always figuring out how do you add value to a market? by providing them content that helps them solve their particular problem. So when a a problem does arise where there's a referral opportunity, they're going to think of you
0: first. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too, because I know like a lot of people are probably familiar with stuff like BNI, but like, I think it's really an opportunity to be able to do this stuff at scale. And like, instead of like, you know, literally taking all your clients out to coffee, you know, every, on some sort of a rotating basis, like, you know, there's a possibility to potentially educate them at scale. And um, I wanted to ask as far as kind of the content that people get in place. So there's this very weird phenomenon where I have, uh, you know, we do a fair amount of email marketing, uh, but every once in a while, when we email somebody, they'll just add me to their mailing list. So I end up getting on a lot of these (laughs) law firms email um, mailing lists. And by and large, I see a lot of this stuff that I don't think is, I mean, I'm not like the, the harshest critic of this stuff, but like I kind of see this stuff. It's like, I don't really understand how this could potentially be in giving anyone business because it's very generic stuff, you know, holiday greetings, meet our new paralegal, so-and-so has been promoted or blah, blah, blah. And not really actually dealing with anything that I in my opinion, I don't think the clients ever care about. So what do you usually recommend to people to start with as far as getting client, uh, getting information that's, you know, in front of people, that's going to, you know, hopefully influence a decision. Isn't just something that people are going to be, you know, hitting the delete button on.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So this goes back to factor number three, which is value. So how do you provide value in your client's eyes or your prospect's eyes? That's really the framework or the, the frame of reference or frame of mind you should be thinking about when you're going through this strategy. And so, you know, if you're getting tips from an attorney about how to, you know, do something related to what the, the attorney does, it's really not helpful for me because it, unfortunately it's a very transactional thing. Like I'm not really leveraging an attorney until I have a problem. And so the question is, how do you stay top of mind? Well, this is where it's useful to look at other industries. And so, for instance, one thing that I learned in the insurance industry is uh, some of the the smart insurance brokers, they have the same problem, right? Because people aren't really thinking about insurance and how can be a value without, you know, you're not going to just go and pitch insurance constantly. So what they do, uh, a lot of them, is because they're at the local level, they figure out, okay, how do I partner with people at the the local level that that can add value? It could be something as simple as, as coupons. Right. So you partner with the local, you know, dog groomer and a chiropractor and you you throw them in like a directory and you give some sort of value. Here's a coupon. So that way. And that may not be the only solution. There's a million ways to do it. But the point being, when someone gets your email, how do you position it where they look forward to opening it? And and the easiest way is to give value and value a lot of times comes down to to gifts and rewards and things like that. I'm going to open that email.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and I also want to say it's it's kind of an interesting concept that's always fascinated me. Is like taking things that are are not necessarily new, but new for an industry, and that idea from the insurance thing is is actually really great. But like, you know, you you're kind of in a unique position, Tony, because you are interfacing with all these different uh, types of businesses, so you probably have a better perspective than you know your average attorney. But like for people who are kind of looking for maybe places to look like, you know, given the, you know, the stuff that you have done with attorneys, like, what do you think are the most relevant verticals to, to keep an eye on as far as things that might be applicable to the law?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, let's talk about innovation. So innovation is really where growth happens. I mean, a lot of times, unfortunately, most firms have incremental growth, you know, they kind of grow a tiny bit, you know, gradually over time. That's typically not anyone's goal, right? Nobody wants to be average and grow at a small rate. But unfortunately, when you're just looking at the other attorneys in your market or maybe even market leaders in other markets, you're really taking an incremental approach. So if you look at the general world, how has all the breakthrough growth happened? Well, it's happened by looking at other industries. So case in point, look at Airbnb, you know, look at Uber, look at, you know, Netflix. I mean, these are all businesses that have innovate in an industry by really doing something that's already been done in another industry. And so the best way to look at it is not from the industry perspective, but the problem that's being solved. So for instance, if I am in the medical field, right, one of the challenges I might have is the appointment uh, ratio. So what percentage of people show up when they make an appointment? And this is probably a problem for law firms too, right? Not everyone shows up 100% of the time. Who's really good at getting a great show rate? Well, car dealers are pretty good at it because they've been working at it and their lifeblood is dependent on someone actually getting into the showroom. And so what I always encourage people to do is look at the best case scenarios in other industries for the problem you're trying to solve. If you're trying to look at referral programs, who is really good at referral programs? How can you learn from them what they're doing? Just like the idea I shared before from the insurance industry. So the the goal is not to look at an industry. It's really to look at the problem that you're trying to solve, which goes and circles back to the, the results framework I talked about. It's really looking at the what first, the what problem am I trying to solve, then going to how am I going to solve it, and then going into taking action. So it's always starting with the what.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. And I actually heard something the other day and it was basically, I think this is another friend of mine, who was in, uh, he actually was, he was talking about salespeople. So um, to have people get to the point where they're being able to sell a high ticket service, he, just, he was getting his, his his salesperson, look, I'm gonna give you $5,000 to buy something. Um, And this is a pretty outrageous bonus, but it was a pretty high ticket thing in the end. So just take notes on what the whole process is like when you're working with somebody who's selling something at that high level. And, you know, guess what? It's it's a bit of a different experience than, you know, buying a, you know, a number seven combo at McDonald's. But a lot of these things yeah. too, it's like, you know, being able to kind of see these different things. I think the car dealership thing is a really interesting thing as well. And like, you know, the point of reminders, like, you know, when's the last time you signed up for a dentist appointment? You know, they're using text messages. How many law firms are using that, you know? So right. it's like, there's, there's all these little things that are hiding kind of all over the place. If if people are just having kind of like the space to look for them really. Um exactly. but yeah, no, that's awesome. And then just some other kind of things too. It's like, you know, I think you know, you think about this stuff at a, at a really philosophical level, Tony. And I know you do have a book that's coming out soon, but aside from that, like what are your favorite like thinkers, authors, um, you know, podcasters, even like uh, that you you kind of used to stay abreast of of kind of like the big ideas in business.
1: Oh absolutely uh, I'm a big fan of m- m- basics in business, so for instance, the w- first thing you should be thinking about is how do I have a profit <laughs> you want because if you're not yeah. a profitable as a law firm, then you know what's the point right so uh right. Michael McAlowitz has great books on that subject, so he's always great to look at i look I like reading uh John Maxwell for Leadership is always important because I think we all have a leadership role, no matter what size organization we have and how many people we have reporting to us and vice versa. If we're if we're you know further down the chain reporting at to people, we're all called to be leadership at some level. And if you're in business and you're running a business or you're running a law firm, you're a leader. So you should know that. You know, Vern Harness is great. Gina Wickman, I mean I like a lot of those kind of framework type things, as you can probably tell, I think kind of visually and I think in terms of framework. So those are some of my favorites.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, too, because it's like I've heard a lot of those names come up on different uh, guests that we've had. I know uh, Moshe Amsal, a guest who's uh, actually a two-time guest, uh, works closely with Mike McCallowitz's organization. I've heard Vern Harnish and um, Gino Wickman come up as well. But I mean, I think it's it's for a reason, because a lot of the times, too, and, and these guys aren't necessarily law firm guys. And I know people do kind of like a lot of the times, too, I think um, as an industry, I think in legal, we're, we're sort of guilty on having a little bit of a narrow viewpoint on this. But, you know. Your point, there's a lot of, to be gained from kind of looking at this stuff because you know the thing is, I, I think if a framework's able to succeed in different markets, that means it's an effective framework, right? It's it's robust, there's things that you can adapt and like you know, that kind of thing. But um, speaking of cash flow, actually, so that's been a challenge for a lot of folks that are going through this. So, like, you know, how do you have people think about like you know, red flags? I mean, people have been going through a lot of hiring and firing, and like, you know, how do you recommend people get through a cash crunch?
1: yeah so the first well, there's really two things that you want to be aware of and the first one I already mentioned profitability. So how much are you making on each client, each transaction, whatever the case may be, and how does that hit the bottom line uh, across the whole firm? That's the first consideration. The second one is when is are those monies coming in and and what when am I paying out and so always take into account. How quickly can I get paid and how, uh, essentially, how can I delay the payments out, you know? And so this is where you want to negotiate with your, your vendors, you know, if you can pay them a month after, you know, if you're an agency, you do the opposite, right? So when I have an agency, I do up <laughs> Don't front, tell anyone this, Tony. <laughs> <but, laughs> exactly, I know. I, even, I don't even know why we're talking about this one, right? This is that bad one. But, uh, but yeah, I always try to get paid up front. But if I'm paying out, I try to do it in a month. So that right. makes me essentially 60 days of revenue, you know? And so practicing that across every area and really taking into account what your expenses are. I know at least from my agency perspective, I, when COVID hit, I did an audit of what we were spending on. And we were, you know, there's so many little tools and services and things like that, that we weren't even really leveraging that much that I could just cut. So it was really looking at what you have and saying, okay, what can what can I eliminate? what really adds value and and those are the things I should keep.
0: Yeah. And, um, I know we actually haven't spoken about the agency whatsoever, but like, as far as like a little bit of context stuff, I mean, I know that you've talked about content a little bit, but what have, um, you know, what has the agency been focusing on for the most part?
1: Yeah. So my agency, uh, Big Fish Results, we focus on growing market leaders. So we like to work with the top, um, businesses in, in a variety of industries. So we're very different in the sense that we don't focus on a particular area. And we do that by choice because, like I said, so much innovation and ideas come from working with others. I've been w- blessed to have worked with you know, over 10,000 small businesses over the years, and that's given me tremendous advantage because that's where I can pull. I have a whole repository of ideas I can pull from at any given moment. So that's kind of how that you know, comes into play. And then two years ago, I started taking and building this framework that I talked about, the results loop, and that is where I'm doing more coaching, group coaching. I have a course on how to plan, and also I have a software company that I'm launching on the tail end of that, that helps you kind of benchmark yourself. So for instance, say, while firm, I'm having a problem looking at referrals, how can I look at other companies in their industries and, and leverage what they're doing? So it's a really a benchmarking tool, but also kind of a repository of, of growth ideas. So that's kind of where
0: I'm focused now. Yeah, that's fascinating. So is this based on user based content? Or are you guys doing some sort of a like, a, you know, scrape of greater of things is just to get to like, where are these benchmarks coming from? That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, well, it's going to start with people filling out their own results loop where they put in, you know, kind of their goals and, and their challenges and what they're doing to fix them. And then as it, as it grows and scales, we'll use that data in an aggregate to really kind of get a, a huge repository of, of ideas. So it's going to be built by the people themselves, but while they're doing it, they're getting value immediately by the fact that they can, you know, have a system to plan in 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, no, that's super cool. And it's like, if you kind of imagine too, like, I mean uh, I think it's a really interesting concept as far as this, this getting things from other industries. Cause you know, it's like you have, you kind of like, I mean, I'd say Frankenstein would have like a negative connotation, but more maybe like, maybe like Voltron or something. Like if you can have the referrals of an insurance broker, you know the uh, networking ability of a realtor, like all these different things to kind of uh, go in. And there's honestly a lot of the times too. Like we're talking about service businesses at the end of the day, so there's probably more crossover yeah. than a lot of people really imagine. So I think it's it's really cool that you're you're getting that together. Thank you. All right, awesome. And then um, kind of like a last thing too. So it's like you know any kind of closing thoughts as far as you know what people should really be thinking about as you know we're in sort of still uncertain times and that's <laughs> and almost to the point where that, that phrase itself has become a trope. But um, as things kind of continue and unfold, like what do you think people aren't focusing on that they should be focusing on and, and what can people do to make the best out of this time?
1: Yeah, well, I'll go back to what I said before in the terms of planning. Like one of the things I learned, uh, I used to be a professional violinist. And so I remember when I was trying to play in conservatory a difficult piece called the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. I wanted to kind of just get right through the difficult parts and just play the melodies and call it a day. And I learned a very valuable lesson that kind of resonates with what my mother taught me earlier about breaking things down. But a similar lesson is to slow down to speed up. And so what I learned is to play the music slowly, learn it, and then speed it up over time. And ultimately, when I do that, I can play much better and play much faster. Same principle applies to life and business in the sense that, if you want to speed up, you really should slow down, take a minute to figure out exactly what you're going to do. And that ultimately will propel you much, much quicker. And the reason being is you're not wasting time, money, and effort on things that don't work. If you plan out a little bit in advance, you ultimately have more success in the end.
0: Okay, that's awesome. And I don't know if we're going to be able to top that. That's a really good note to end things on. Yeah, Tony, as far as like people who have been liking what they're hearing, like what's like the best way to stay in your world? What should people do to take the next step?
1: Sure, yeah. So... The, a lot of these pencils I talk about and some of these stories as well are in a manifesto that I provide. It's absolutely free. It's, you can get it at smallstepsmanifesto.com. And that's also where we're building the world's largest library of dis- different results loops. So there's one for attorneys where people can look at other models of what other attorneys are doing and how they ha- have success. But I also have other industries. So you can literally look at automotive examples, And and there's also examples from the Fortune 500. So it's a really great resource, and again, it's absolutely free. And I know we've asked for contact information because I really want people to get the information. So that's one way. The second way is if you want to ask me a question, you know, maybe something I wasn't able to fully explain here today. All you have to do is go to my website, meettonyg.com, scroll down to the very bottom, and then connect with me through social media.
0: You know, I'm probably most active on LinkedIn
1: and Facebook.
0: Okay, awesome, And Tony, Thank you so much for um, the the generous offer. So, if anyone has any questions, you better ask Tony G. (laughs) Sorry, no, and meet Tony G. My bad. I don't know. Let's 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 tighten that up. (laughs) If anyone has questions, go grab grab that domain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. All right, awesome. So, um, yeah, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time. And like, I think people, you know, just taking the, the perspective of of a bigger picture. Um, breaking things down into really the base components that anyone can use in any business, regardless of where it's at. Um, and also being able to look a little bit outside of the legal industry now and then just to see what the perspectives are. And then, you know, if you're the first printed student in your market, you could have a competitive advantage for years to come. So thanks, Tony. Super appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. All right, awesome. And for everyone else, we will be back next week with another episode of the Law Firm Growth Podcast Tuesday at eight AM Eastern. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.